morning, we are beginning a new series, um, which is going to take us a few weeks to get through. And the series is the book of James in its entirety. Um, I don't know how many of you have ever read the book of James. How many of you have read through the whole book of James at some point? Um, well, I, I want you to head there in your Bibles this morning, please. If you need a Bible um, and you don't have one on your phone and you don't have a physical Bible with you, please just raise your hand. Someone from the ushers team will see that hand and they will get you a Bible which is in the ESV uh, translation. Um, but I encourage you to, to read the whole book if you've not read it. Read the whole book again if you have read it. There are only five chapters. And, 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 and if you have questions that arise as we're teaching through the book of James, I want you to email those questions into myself or Ben. I want you to come and talk to us about what those questions are. I'd thought about trying an approach where we did that live uh, on a Sunday morning, but unless you want to give me a little bit more time to, to get through this all, I don't know that we're going to manage that um, to, today. Um, but I want my, my approach is always participatory, right? I always want you to, to get involved as much as possible. Um, I was, I was reflecting, uh, the scripture gives us a, a mandate to build one another up, right? And so I feel as if my task is always to build you up on a Sunday morning. And so, but if, but if, but if that means, if building up is to strengthen you, if this was like a physical workout class and I did all the work and you just sat there and watched me, you wouldn't get very built up, would you? If you were telling me that my press push-up form was good and my, 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 my squats were good and you were applauding great, great squats, Douglas, and great, great, great arm curls and great whatever you're doing and you're just sitting there watching me do it, I would get fit and you would get... All right. <laughs> so, so, so that's why I ask questions. Right, and so I'm going to do something a little daring. I'm going to ask, there's some empty seats here. I want to have a conversation with as many of you as want to come and sit in these rows that are empty, and this row, and these rows, and those rows. And so if you're in the creative content team, if you're a kingdom community leader, if you're a member of the prayer team, if you're just a bold member of the congregation, and you want to be part of answering and asking questions throughout the process of this, come forward. My wife's the only one that's moved so far. <laughs> all right, I see Brian McCarran's coming forward. Here we go. Okay, so, so applaud all those brave people who're going to come forward and sit in these rows because we want to have a conversation. Thank you. Appreciate, 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 appreciate you all. So that's the analogy. This is two-way. I do some work, you do some work too. I don't do all the work, you do some work too. Thank you for coming forward. Appreciate you all. This is much better. I'm under pressure now. Right. So... The beginning, the beginning of the book of James. So who knows anything about the book of James? Who knows who, who, is, who, who the tradition says wrote the book of James? Brother. The brother of Jesus. Okay, so there were a couple other Jameses in the Bible. There were two disciples called James, right? There was, there was James um, uh, who was martyred in Acts 12, the disciple, the brother of John. There was James, the son of Alphaeus. It's not him. It's Jesus' elder brother. If you want a whole lot of references, and they tell you a lot of references sometimes, not so you can get them all down, but you can go back and listen to the podcast and check them all out. For example, Matthew 13, 55, Mark 6, 3 is going to reference James as the brother of Jesus. You'll see additional references in Acts 15, Acts 21, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, Galatians 1, verse 19, and Galatians chapter 2. Now, throughout the history of the church, has the book of James been popular? No. Why has it not been popular? A lot of different, lot, lot of different answers. The one I heard from over there was, was James. James says something about faith without works is dead. 
right? And in a culture of a, a, a Christianity where we say that it's all about faith, faith that says there's any works necessary is problematic for, for some folks. But we're going to come to that a little later on. We're not going to come to that today. And who else disputed it? So in the early church, when they were trying to work out what the canon of, of the books of the New Testament were, they're trying to work out which books to put in, which books to leave out. A lot of people wanted to leave James out, right? But later on in history, who else wanted to throw James out the Bible? Martin Luther, he called it an epistle of straw, right? He didn't like it because it challenged the whole notion of faith being everything. So with that controversy that we're going to hit a little later on in our study in the book of James, and remember, you're all going to have read it. You're all going to be familiar with what we're talking about on a Sunday morning, which is great. I love the sense that the whole congregation is in the same space. Let's begin today. So turn in your Bibles, please, to James chapter 1, verses 1. Uh, to four. And I'm going to read from the New King James Version of the Bible. How many of you have that? Not enough. <laughs> How many of you have the ESV Version of the Bible? Okay, more. How many of you have, have the King James, the one that Moses brought down from Sinai? <laughs> All right. How many of you have something heretical like the message? <laughs> God's Word. Translational, the, the, the passion, is that, is that the one? Ali has that one, okay. But we're, we're all wise enough. If I'm reading from one, you can follow along in another Bible and we can get there. James chapter one, verse one, reading here. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. And then he gets down to it. He says, how are you doing? How's your life? How's your livelihood? How's your business? He doesn't bother with any of that stuff, does he? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So this is one of the reasons why people don't like James. He's a little to the point, straight in. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So the encouragement is to... Count it all joy. How many other ways can you say that? Anyone have anything else other than count it all joy? Anyone have consider it joy? Anyone have reckon it to be joy? The sense is that we're meant to shift our perspective when we face trials of any kind. Because if our perspective when we face trials is this is terrible and my life is terrible and woe is me and oh God, I'm a terrible human being, which we are, and God's hating me, and God's on my case, and God's trying to mess with me, if that's our perspective, James is saying we have to shift our perspective when we fall into trials, when we find ourselves in trials, when we experience trials, when we face trials, when we are led into trials. And you think about when Jesus prays in, the, in, in his prayer, lead us not into temptation. The, spirit, the scripture elsewhere says Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, now, we might sometimes find that when we end up in a trial, we think we've just fallen into it. But it may actually be that God is leading us there. And I think that's, that's big, 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 big boy, big girl Christianity there, when we have a sense that we're in a trial and we know that the one that led us there was God. Right? But that's not always our perspective. My perspective is, oh, how did I find myself in this? Not recognizing that it could be exactly God that's leading us into it. Lead us not into temptation, but God, if you do... 
when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death and evil is all about me, trying to draw me aside to its evil purposes, keep me through that. So that's the encouragement. Consider it all joy. Is that easy? Who finds it easy when something goes wrong in your life to say, oh, I recognize this is an opportunity for joy, and <laughs> whoop-de-doo, woo-hoo, my life's hard, woo-hoo, this hurts, woo-hoo, this is painful, as the tears are streaming down your face. Who finds it easy? None of us do. So James is trying to shift our perspective, so that's why he's saying, consider it. Reckon it to be. Shift your perspective. Why should we count it all joy? Knowing that the testing of our faith produces what? But let patience have its perfect work. What do you think that means? What do you think it means to let patience have its perfect work? Do you think it means that when I'm in a situation that's a trial that I should squirm to get out of it as quickly as possible? Do you think it might mean that I've got to ask God for wisdom if it's God that wants me to be in this space, that he wants me to dwell here, and so I should do the exact opposite to try and squirm to get out of it possible and to make all the phone calls and call all the people I can to get me out of it and and all of those sort of things. Let patience have its perfect work that we may be, what's the next word? Mature. Who has perfect? Who has complete? Lacking nothing. Who has that? And so if you spin that round and say, who here wants to be perfect? Raise your hand. Who wants to be complete? Raise your voice. It's just me. <laughs> Who wants to be perfect? Keep, you can keep your hand up. Who wants to be complete? You raise another hand. Who wants to be lacking nothing? Raise one leg in the air. <laughs> then what? Let patience have its perfect work. Isn't that interesting? The way to be perfect, the way to be complete, lacking nothing, the way to perfection, to maturity, is to let patience do the work that patience is going to do. So just in case James is an outlier, right? Does anyone else agree with James? Can anyone think of any other scriptures that agree with James? Tell me some. I've got two. Romans 5, 3 to 5. Thank you, Don. Perfect. Turn to Romans 5, 3 to 5. First one I was thinking of. So we have James. And let's see if Paul, who writes the book, of the letter to the Romans agrees with James. Romans 3, chapter 5, Romans 5, chapter, Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. We also glory in tribulations. Doesn't that sound like considerate joy? Who glories in tribulations here, right? I know you do. <laughs> Knowing that tribulation produces what? I can't hear it. And perseverance produces what? And character produces what? And hope doesn't do what? Verse 5. Isn't that amazing? So if we want hope that doesn't disappoint, if we want to develop Christian character, if we want to develop perseverance, we have to glory in tribulation. I'm trying to build you up. Because I want us to be people that are mature. I want us to be people that are complete, lacking nothing. I want us to be people that have perseverance and character. How do you get character? There's so many books written about character, but there are very few that say that this is the way to develop character. Who else agrees with James? So Paul agrees with James. Peter agrees with James. Because of course Peter agrees with James. So turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. 
So I want you to see that when the writers of the New Testament line up in the same place, they're telling us that this is real. It's not just James. It's not just James and Paul. It's not just James and Paul and Peter. It's the whole of the New Testament. Everyone at 1 Peter 1, verses 6 to 9, everyone there? Okay, let's go. Rejoice. Here we go again. (laughs) If you've been grieved by various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, which is what? More precious than gold. Think about that. The most valuable substance in the world, sometimes people say, is gold. When the stock market is going all over the place, get your money in gold. But more precious than gold, you ever heard an investment analyst tell you, you've got to invest in faith? Forget putting your money in treasury bonds or futures or whatever else you can put your money in or investing in a business that's going to make you money. Invest in faith because it's more precious than gold because gold does what? The scripture says there, perishes. Though it is tested by fire, it's found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, the end of faith, receiving the end of faith. What's the purpose of faith? What's faith meant to get us to? The salvation of your souls. So the reason we need strong faith, faith that is... uh, substantive faith that is real is because the end of faith is the salvation of our souls. So the reason that James is saying that we should uh, rejoice in trials and Peter and Paul are saying that we should glory in tribulations is because it's strengthening our faith and our faith is an important essential thing that we as Christians have to have to get us to this point of the salvation of our souls. Now, I want you all to read 1 Peter 4, 12 to 16. I'm going to ask you some questions about that. So just flip a little further forward. 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 to 16. Everybody read that. What does that say? Don't read it out loud. Just read it. Think about it. Think about what it's saying. Peter's saying more of the same thing, right? He's saying, don't be shocked. Is that a fair way to begin? Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as if something strange happens. But again, rejoice because we're partaking in Christ's sufferings so that when his glory is revealed, we're going to be glad with exceeding joy. But look at this verse 15. So if the reason we're going through trials and tribulations is because we're murderers, everybody see that? That's problematic. If the reason we're going through trials and tribulations is because we're thieves or evildoers or busybodies getting in other people's business, It's not about that that we're talking about because that James and Peter and Paul are sort of saying to us, that's not what he's talking about. If you find yourself in in a mess and you caused it, (laughs) it's different than finding yourself in a mess because of standing up for the name of Christ, isn't it? And so I think Peter's asking us to make sure we're separating. If you find yourself in a trial, in the middle of something, Ask yourself, hang on a sec, did I do this? Because if I did this, then maybe the answer is actually for me just to repent of the sin that led me to that space, and maybe then God has a way out of it for me. But instead, if you're just doing everything that God says and walking for Jesus and standing for Jesus and doing the right things, but then you find yourself in the middle of the fiery trial, Peter's saying, don't think it's strange, because the same things happen to Jesus. And Jesus says that his followers will suffer 
and be persecuted in the way that he is. And so it's interesting, if we find ourselves in a country where we don't experience much suffering and persecution for standing up for Jesus, is that because the whole country is Christian? I don't think so. So let's make sure we're not suffering because we are sinning. But if we then still find ourselves in a difficult place, here's what I want to say to you. Some principles about faith. The first thing is this. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes. Faith arises. Where there is no faith, there can be faith. How? By hearing the word of God. We hear the word of God, something God has said, something God is saying, present tense to us. Because sometimes when you think of God has said, that's only because we live in history. God is eternal. God's always speaking. God's word is eternal. We just perceive it as then and future and present and past. Faith arises because we hear the word of God. Do you have no faith? Ask God to speak to you. Ask God to open the eyes of your understanding to hear how he is speaking to you. Ask God to remind you of things that he's already said to you that you've forgotten. Things you've maybe written down and, and written down and hidden away in a journal or in some scrap of paper somewhere. And maybe it might be then that faith will arise. The second thing I want to say about faith is, anyone know what Hebrews 11.6 says? Thank you. Without faith it is impossible to please God. So the focus of faith is who? God. The focus of faith is God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Whoever comes to him must firstly believe that he is, and secondly, recognize that he rewards those of us who diligently seek him. Right? So faith comes, faith arises by hearing the word of God, and the focus of our faith is God, and the purpose of faith is to please God. We're trying to please God and we're reckoning that when we do the things that God has told us to do and we keep doing them and we do them consistently and with diligence that God's going to reward us. So there's no point that we're going to go after God and do the God thing that we're ever going to come up in a place and be disappointed and God's going to let us down. Has that ever happened in history? It hasn't. A third thing, let me say, faith exists in the heart. Now, where is your heart? I don't know what the surgeons and the medical people will say if we did a rip a person open. I don't think it lives in the actual heart of a human being, the thing that pumps blood. But I think when, when the Bible says in Romans 10.10, someone have a quick look at that and tell me what that says, please. See, I told you this is going to be participatory. I know what it says. Okay, the first part of that. So with the what? One believes unto righteousness? With the heart. So faith is somehow in the heart. Proverbs 3, 5, 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. So why do you think faith is in our heart and not the mind? Isn't that interesting? Do you think about that? Something that's in the mind is rational and can be understood, right? And we spend a lot of time in Christianity trying to argue it intellectually. But I wonder whether this is telling us that faith is just something that isn't intellectual. It's just deeply held, hard to explain maybe, perceived, felt, inexplicable maybe, not in the mind. Faith comes, the focus of faith is God, faith exists in the heart, this is a good one, faith endures. 1 Corinthians 13, 
Now, these three things endure, faith, hope, love. Faith, love is God. Hope is God. Faith is God. This is a substance of God that endures. It's, 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 it's like our anchor into eternity. So if you think that we, if you want a shake, shaky little anchor into eternity held by this little threadbare string that could snap, forget that. That we want ropes that are solid and, and like those huge things that the big ships have, a firm anchor deep in eternity. If we want that, then the scripture is telling us that we have to be prepared to consider trials joy. We have to glory in tribulation. So let me come back to James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. So the first thing this teaches us is that faith strengthens through resistance training, right? We really get the point of resistance training. Through testing, our faith in God strengthens. And all of you have been wondering what this thing is down here. This is, a, this is the only barbell I own. Uh, this, this thing may be, this could be 50 years old. Um, this was my mother's barbell, and my mother was not very big, Right? Uh, but she was very tough, um, and she used to have a, a weak wrist, and so I wonder whether she bought this to strengthen her wrist, and so this became, I, of course, I stole it, right? Uh, <laughs> this became my barbell as a kid, and there's not a lot you can do. You can curl, and you can do shoulder things, and look at the magic that you can do. You can unscrew the ends, and if you unscrew the end and it doesn't drop on your foot, there you go, but you can, you can use these to do punches and things like that. Isn't that amazing? All in one. They don't have things this good these days, do they? I wonder whether Antiques Roadshow might tell me it's worth billions <laughs> or, or nothing. <laughs> but you get the point, right? You want to build muscle, how do you do it? You work it, right? Do you just move your arms up and down in the air? Is that going to build muscle? You can work against your own body, body, body weight, right? But the essence of it is, I think, I think James is trying to tell us the same thing. And you think about it, opposition and resistance is built into the atmosphere. There's this thing called, what stops us floating? Gravity. And so to even walk, it takes muscular strength, doesn't it? And if I move forward, what am I pushing against? The atmosphere. And there's wind resistance. If I'm in water and I try to swim, what am I pushing against? the resistance of the water. So it seems as if God's made it perfectly clear that the only way to progress in life is to push against something. I can't walk without pushing against resistance. I can use gravity to build strength. I can use, um, I can use weights to build muscle and all those sort of things. So how do we build faith? This way. The resistance. The reckoning, the trial to be an opportunity for me to work my faith out. See? Shift of perspective. There's a trial. There's something going on. Do we suddenly find ourselves in a place where we say, well, this is great. God's given me a chance to build my faith. Because that's what I want us to be able to think. Someone look up Judges 3, verses 1 to 2. Now, the context of Judges is this is after the Israelites have taken the land that God had promised to them. There's this astonishing verse there. You'd think that God would just obliterate all of the nations that stood against Israel, but instead Judges 3, chapter, Judges chapter 3, verse 1 says what? Okay. So God doesn't wipe all the nations out of the land. He leaves some nations in the land because he figures that there's some people that don't know what warfare is. 
He figures that there are some people that don't understand what it is to fight against something, and so he leaves some there because you guys need to know what it's like to resist something. I'm not going to put you in a space where there's nothing. It's this vacuum, and there's nothing to push against. Because, as we said, gravity is, is something we've got to resist, and the wind is something we've got to resist. If we start running, it's going to get harder because we're working against gravity and wind resistance. And we, if we haven't built muscular strength, that's going to, uh, going to get harder and harder. Who's ever run a marathon? How much training do you have to do for a marathon? Did you just wake up one day and decide you want to run a marathon? Maybe you were just some natural, gifted athlete. But I imagine weeks and months of running more and more and more and more. What do you get up to before you eventually run it? Do you run the whole 26 in training or less than that? 18, right? So there's still this faith eight, right? <laughs> That's horrible. I want to... <laughs> I've only done 18. And does your brain, is that where they say, when you hit the wall, do you hit the wall at, at, the, at the, okay, somewhere around there, that this is your brain telling you, I can't do this, I can't do this. But you can, right? Because you've done enough training to get through it. Faith is the same thing. Faith is the same thing. Um, um, and, 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 so, and so, in the same way as God leaves nations there to test them, he's left trials and tests and opposition to test us, to strengthen our faith, to build our strength. Now, so, so, so the word we've been using here is a test. But I want you to recognize that in the scripture, the word test, trial, and temptation is used interchangeably. Have you ever heard that before? The word test, trial, and, and, and temptation, the Greek word that's used and translated that way is sometimes used interchangeably. Let's see if we can prove that. James 1.12. What does everybody have in James 1.12? Um, who has Test. Anybody there? Who has test? Who has trial? Okay, anyone have temptation? Isn't that amazing? It worked. <laughs> this is my head was like, this is going to be a mess. I think it's going to work. And I checked enough versions. The same Greek word is translated three different ways. You find that interesting. The test... Trial and temptation is used interchangeably. And here's what I think that's all about. I think the test is God's purpose. God's purpose. The test is God's purpose. God looks at us and says, I want to test them. I want to prove something. I don't think God's trying to prove anything to himself because God knows the truth all the time. I think sometimes when we find ourselves failing at tests, it proves something to who? To us, that we aren't as strong as we think we are. And the scripture says, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6, that love rejoices in truth. And so as Christians, I think that's telling us that we should always want the truth to be known. And so when we fail in the test, sometimes it proves to us that we weren't what we thought we were, and it proves to others that he or she wasn't who we thought they were. Isn't that interesting? I think that's purpose, part of God's purpose, as well as strengthening, strengthening our faith. But what's the trial? I think the trial is how I experience it. I am being tried. God is testing me. And who's tempting me in the midst of this all? Satan. Do you realize in the same experience, God is testing us to prove something, to reveal truth, to strengthen our faith. In the same moment, we're experiencing that as a trial or a tribulation or trouble or whatever it is, and we're like, oh. 
And in the same moment, right there, is temptation. And we're going to look later in James at what temptation is and how temptation is something that Satan is really just trying to draw us aside. You think at the beginning of the book of Joshua when God tells them to, to, to do the things he's, he, he's told them to do and to not turn aside to the left or to the right. You think about turning aside to the left or the right is God's called me on a purpose, right? And he said, do this, do that, do that. And all of a sudden, I'm, and I've forgotten God's purpose. So it means in the test that is God's purpose, in the trial that is my experience, there is temptation to turn aside. Think about that for a moment. Think about the worst experience you've had, the worst test you've been through, the toughest situation you've experienced. Now, if that wasn't because of your own sin and you caused it and brought it upon yourself, was it or is it, if you're in it now, that God's testing you? He's trying to prove some truth here. He's trying to show you something. And he's trying to strengthen your faith in the same way as lifting weights strengthens faith and physical resist, pushing against resistance strengthens faith. That's the perspective I want you to have. But did you also perceive or do you also now perceive if you're in the middle of it, the voice of the enemy saying, turn aside, get yourself out of it, do this. He didn't mean that. Did he really say this? I want us to walk through a few examples in Scripture. Can you think of any people in Scripture who faced? I asked out of this this morning. They're the warm-up. Can you think of any people in Scripture who experienced a test that was really God's trial, but in the midst of it, there was temptation? Adam and Eve? Job? Jesus. All right, let's go with Job first. So Job is interesting because in the beginning of the book of Job, we actually get an insight into what's going on in the heavenly place. Satan shows up and says, God, there's this guy called Job and he really ain't all that. And God says, actually he is. And he says, well, prove it. And God gives Satan parameters in which he can attack Job and Job loses everything in the first few chapters of Job, doesn't he? What does he lose? He loses his, his livelihood. Yeah. He loses his children. He loses his house. It seems like a whirlwind comes through. It's like a tornado comes through and wipes it all out. What happens next with Job? Sores. He gets afflicted with sores, right? That's pretty bad. And this isn't because Job was a murderer or a thief or any of those things, right? So he didn't bring this on himself. It's a test that Job experiences as a trial, and the temptation is to turn aside, and his wife is the first in with this, and to curse God and die, right? Just curse God, which at the end of the day was what Satan was making the accusation about, was saying, Job's not all that. If you really squeeze him, Job's going to break. And God's like, I don't think so. I know my Job. And when we squeeze him, we're going to find that there's good stuff in there. And Job never sins with his mouth. His friends all come and hang with him. They sit a whole lot. They talk a whole lot of junk. Watch for those folks when you're going through it who come and tell you this is the reason, and this is the reason. It's because you did this, it's because your parents did this, it's because of this, it's because of this, it's because of this. It's not often wisdom. So Job's an example. At the end of the book of Job, the scripture says that God restores, doubles what Job had to start with, and Job becomes the model of faith, of, of perseverance, sorry. Even in the end of the book of James, we're going to see this later. Someone mentioned Jesus, right? Jesus experiences a trial, led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be three things going on at the same time. 
Let's think of another one. This one's interesting. By the Red Sea. Moses. Because the one we spoke about this morning was when God leads the Israelites into the wilderness. It's a trial. If I said you're all going to go into wilderness and there's no food, we're already having an issue. And you're going to start complaining at me, right? You led us here. It was fine in that part of the world we lived in that had lots of restaurants that we could buy food and Uber Eats and Grubhub and whatever the other one's called. But now you did this. Isn't that how they begin to speak? So God leads them into the wilderness. I think it's Deuteronomy 8 that says to teach them something, to reveal a truth, which is that man does not live by, but by that proceeds from the wrath of God. So God's trying to reveal a truth in that moment by leading them into the wilderness. So that's God's purpose. That's God's test to see whether they can stand in that. They experience it as a trial, but Satan is in there tempting them to complain and to grumble and to want to go back. I promise you one of the first things you're going to want to do when the temptation is on you and the trial is on you and the test is on you is to go back. I remember when we came here, it was Christians that were the ones telling us to keep our house. Keep your house because if it doesn't work or when it doesn't work, I can't remember what they said. I hated both, both phrases. When it doesn't work, you'll have something to go back to. I said, oh, no, 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 no. If I have something to go back to, I'm going to go back. Because when it gets tough, when I look at the bank account and there's nothing there, I'm going to think, oh, I've just got to throw out the renters and go back to England. We had nothing to go back to. We didn't go back until, I don't know, what, for like 12, 13, 14 years. Because I was so afraid of bumping into someone I used to work with who would tell me, you were a really great music business attorney and you can come back tomorrow morning. I'm like, I can? <laughs> right? And so the temptation to go back is always there. And who's the one tempting us to go back and to not press on with God's purpose? It is the devil who sees God's purposes as clearly as you do probably clearer and is trying to withhold you in it and turn you to the left or the right. So recognize we're experiencing as a, as a trial. God is testing us. Satan is always trying to tempt us to turn aside. This is the other one I wanted to say about the Israelites. So if we're the Israelites and I've led you, uh, Stephen, you can be Moses. If Stephen's led us, right, <laughs> out, of Israel, out of Israel and Aaron's with him, Stephen, Aaron, right, who's got the rod? Right? And we've seen great miracles. We've seen all sorts of things going. We've seen, we've seen flies and locusts and plagues and rivers turn to blood. And now we're, we've come out of Egypt and we're free and we're free. But oh no, we're not free because there's a big sea in front of us. Seriously. Couldn't you have found another way? <laughs> well, what between the two of you? Was there no better path other than one that leads us to an ocean? Which is a... Trial, as we experience it, but in God's eyes, it's a test to see how great our faith is in him, right? Think about that. So if our eyes aren't open, all we see is trial, all we see is tribulation, all we see is disaster ahead, and you might be in this place right now, all you see is something that God's calling you to do, and it's impossible. And you don't know how it's going to work out. And it's experiencing, you're experiencing it as a trial of something difficult, as something horrible, something you want to get out of. But could it be that God's testing you to strengthen your faith, to prove his truth, to show you something, to show others something about him and about his work in you? 
But can you also hear the voice of the enemy saying, turn aside, go back, stop. You didn't really hear that. God didn't say that to you. It was better anything that was behind you. And what happens at the Red Sea? What's God's actual purpose to display his glory, but also to destroy the Egyptian? If you're so focused on what's going on in front and the terrible trial, you don't know that God's about to do something that's going to separate you for something that has plagued you for years. Years. Our experience is, remember hearing a preacher describe it, it's like we're, we're, we're in a place, the bombs are falling all around us, right? We think he's bombing us. He's not bombing us. He's bombing our enemy. But our perspective is wrong. Because we don't have eyes of our understanding open. So if you're in the trial, if you're in the test, and we're going to come to the next passage in James next week, which is if you lack wisdom, ask. But we felt, Ben and I were looking at this, we had a real sense that this, this just, that just warrants a whole week on its own. I didn't feel as if I could tag it on here. Joseph, look at Joseph's life. His faith in God grows through trials, doesn't it? When his brother's casting him in the pit. His faith in God is growing when he's in Potiphar's house and he's falsely accused. See, imagine if the trouble Joseph causes is actually he'd been the one that did something he shouldn't have done with Potiphar's wife. He doesn't. He's falsely accused. He's thrown in jail for something that he didn't do. And then he's left in jail later, isn't he? Until the baker or cup maker, whichever one it is, remembers him three, two years later and calls him out. Jesus in the wilderness, Peter. Look at these examples in the scripture. Just ask God to say, God, lead me through the life of a man or a woman, or many men or women, Esther, Ruth. Yeah? Jesus feeds the 5,000. This is the last one I'm going to reference before wrapping up. Jesus feeds the 5,000, and he's called. Actually, I don't think he called them to himself. He just went somewhere to teach, and his teaching is so brilliant that thousands follow him. And then there comes a point when it's getting late in the day and there's no food. And so Jesus, it says in John 6, 6, Jesus knows what he's about to do. It's amazing, I saw that. It's not in the other gospels, but in John 6, verse 6, it says, Jesus knows what he's about to do, turns to Brian, right, and says, Brian, feed them. And Brian says, exactly. <laughs> we ain't got enough food, but it's a test, Brian. I want you to know, Jesus is saying, how big and how powerful, how, how immense I am and that your faith in me, if I'm telling you to feed them, it must be because I got a way that we're going to do this, right? But of course, and then the next thing is, is this little kid who has a couple loaves and some fishes and clearly that's not enough either. So we, we turn to Brandon and Brandon says, five loaves and however many fishes, can we feed 5,000 with that? And you say, no, you don't. <laughs> We've got to find ourselves in the right place of all these stories. We would be like, no, that ain't enough either. Send them away into the towns, it says, that they can go find food. And Jesus says, oh, hold on a sec, let me show you something. And so in the trial that we experience, feeding too many people with not enough food, and the test that God has for us, Whatever the temptation is, because I'm sure Satan's in there trying to mess it up in some way, because he's always trying to draw us aside to some purpose other than God's purpose. God comes through. And here's something I want to 
say to you, I think this is really important because this really spoke to me. Every time we resist and stand, our faith strengthens. Every time. Every, every single rep I do, because if I, if I started curling this and I kept going and you'd be counting and I'd get to whatever number I got to, right? And just because I failed at number 322 or whatever it was, does that mean that I've not worked out? No, but why do we think like that? Why do we think that I'm resisting this thing that is plaguing me and I fail at number 306? I've failed. No, I built my faith for the next time. I really felt God wanted me to say that to you, that just recognize that stand. Encourage one another to stand. Build one another up. Do something that helps your brother and sister stand, right? To work out. When you see someone going through this, this is the other thing. Sometimes we've got to be careful to not jump in and, and help them because it might be that we're lessening the test and the trial that God wants them to go through. I think it was Kristen Dooley said this, said that, something like that, in the sense in which we, we just sometimes, we, we, we can just pray for people to get through it rather than I'm going to go and fix it for them, right? Because sometimes if, I, if, if, you, if everybody comes to you and you, you, there's a prayer need and you're like, I'm going to fix it for them, that might be getting, out of the, getting them out of the test that God has for them. So we've got to have wisdom and discernment for it. So this is my last point. I want to call the worship team back now. So faith is vital spiritual muscle. When? Now. Faith is vital spiritual muscle right now. Hebrews 11.1 says now. Easy to miss that word at the top of Hebrews 11.1. Now, when? In the present. Today, in the present. Faith is the substance of things hoped for in the future. Today, faith is evidence of the things I hope for in the future. We hope to spend eternity with Jesus. When is that? In the future. The faith we have that guarantees that is when? Now. Evidence of things not yet seen. Not seen. Yet. Right? It's not in there. Now, today in the present, faith is the substance of things hoped for in the future. The evidence of things not yet seen. So therefore, today, we walk by faith. Not by one more time. Today, we walk by faith, not by sight. And this is the marvelous thing. The more faith we have, the stronger our faith is. If I have little faith, as opposed to big faith, I'm going to just do little things for God. We have strong faith that means that we reckon the trial and test to be something to strengthen my faith. Might we find ourselves in a place that we can do amazing things for God? Look at Abraham. It takes 20 years or so from the moment that God promises him that he's going to have a son to the day he actually has a son. And do any of us think that we could do what Abraham does in Genesis, is it 22, when he goes up onto the mountain to sacrifice his son? We couldn't do that. Because we don't trust God as much as he did. The scripture works it out. It says, I think it's somewhere that Abraham, I think it's Hebrews 11, maybe, wherever it is in the New Testament, that Abraham was so confident in God by the time he comes to the mountain that he's figuring that I'm going to do this and God's, I'm just going to do it because he's told me to do it and God's going to raise him up again. So look how through Abraham's life, he might've had little faith here and then bigger faith here and then more faith here and then more faith here and then more faith here. And he comes to this point, his faith is so vast that God says, kill the son that is the one through whom all your descendants are going to be. He's like, okay, God, 
Because I trust you so much. I trust you so much. The more faith we have, the greater the works we do. The more faith we have, the more we love. Galatians 5, 6 says, the only thing that matters is faith working through love. If you want to love more, you've got to have faith to love. You've got to have faith to love your enemy. You've got to hear the Word of God. Faith arises. You can only love your enemy in faith because they don't make any sense. The more faith, the stronger our faith, the more works, the greater the works, the more we love, the greater the love, and the more we are assured of eternity. The more confidently we hold the hope when? Today, right? So our prayer is this morning, let faith arise. Let faith arise. I hope that's encouraging. Because remember where we began. Count it joy when you fall into trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be complete and perfect, lacking nothing. Amen. Anything I said that's not clear, any questions anyone has? Anything? Any insight anyone's had as we've been walking through this that you want to share? Or does this feel like the word of the Lord to us? Amen. So please keep your questions if you have some. If you go home and you're thinking about something, you're reflecting, send it in, douglas at gfc.tv, right? Um, or come by and say, I want to grab coffee at the brand new spanking Starbucks out there or whatever it is. Or maybe you hate Starbucks. Well, just come by because I want to hear the things that God has said to you that we didn't think. Because I promise you, I always go home and I think of 50 things I should have said. <laughs> and I wake up on Monday morning and I listen to it again and I listen to whoever it is that spoke and I think, oh, if only we'd said this. Whatever that is, when you hear it, I want to know about it because we have a few weeks and we want to get all that stuff in because how many saints are there in this building? Lots of us. I always think it's a weird thing for me to talk to you for all that time. That's why I try to make it interactive as possible, and I hope that was okay. Yeah. It's a whole lot of fun. Appreciate you guys coming forward. It just felt like just having a conversation with some friends, right? It's not us forgetting everybody in the back row. Because I see you all, and I see you guys all up there. Let faith arise. Can we pray that? God, we give you thanks for your word. Your word with is faithful and true as you are faithful and true. God, we pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding, Lord, if we're in a trial at the moment, to see your purpose in it, your good, holy purpose, to strengthen us, to build us up. God, we long to be perfect. We long to come to maturity. We long to be men and women, young people that lack nothing. And so, God, strengthen us to walk through every test that you want to lead us through, every trial you want to lead us through. And God, give us faith, courage, confidence to stand in the face of temptation even though we war against powers and principalities lord and heavenly forces of wickedness hosts of them god you are greater our god is great you are magnificent god and for you we want to do daring great exploits in this world we want to love more we want to serve you more we want to do great things god so increase father god our faith we pray in jesus name